Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 2, Behold the Golden Harp, the Invasion of the Fenians. From 1866 to 1871, a radical group of Irish Republicans known as the Fenian Brotherhood launched a series of violent raids into British-controlled Canadian territory, known then as British North America. These raids would result in the destruction of the Fenian organization, but also play a significant role in accelerating the process towards Canadian Confederation. Now, last episode, I forgot to insert a book recommendation, and my sincere apologies, but it might be no surprise to many that my recommendation for last episode is James Fenimore Cooper's The Last of the Mohicans. It is truly a classic. For this week, however, I recommend the fictional novel The Roofwalkers by Keith Henderson, a uniquely constructed fictional narrative about a Canadian spy attempting to infiltrate the Fenian organizations of New York. A reminder, you can find us on numerous platforms. iTunes Podcast, SoundCloud, Facebook, all by searching Cool Canadian History. If you happen to access us via iTunes, please leave us a rating or a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback on the show. If you find us on Facebook, please give us a like and a follow so we can keep you up to date with all the goings-on of cool Canadian history. You can also now find us on our YouTube channel by simply searching Cool Canadian History. You can, of course, find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S, and you can always find us at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. All our podcasts are there for you to browse, as well At the bottom of our homepage, you will see a donations tab courtesy of PayPal. PayPal makes it very easy and extremely secure for you to donate to our podcast. You can do so safely and securely via a transfer directly from your bank account, your credit card, or even your PayPal account if you have one. Every donation is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this bi-weekly history podcast. Okay. So the first question you might be asking yourself is, who exactly are the Fenians? Well, the Fenian Brotherhood was an Irish Republican group founded in the United States in 1858. Its original leader, John O'Mahony, had escaped to the U.S. after participating in a failed insurrection back in Ireland. 
This was dubbed the Young Islander Rebellion of 1848. Now, by 1863, the Fenian Brotherhood had attracted quite the following. It held its first National Congress in Chicago that same year, with O'Mahony being elected its official president. Essentially, what the Fenian Brotherhood sought was the creation of an independent Republic of Ireland, one free from British control. The British had in fact merged the Irish Parliament into the British one in 1801. Now, the Brotherhood raised money through donations from wealthy private sympathizers, but also through Irish Republican bonds, essentially bonds that could be redeemed by the holder six months after the creation of the Irish Republic. Through this method, the Fenians were able to put together a fairly sizable war chest. Now, one faction within the Fenian Brotherhood, led by a man named William R. Roberts, was particularly convinced that an armed invasion of Canada was the best method to strike against Britain. Under his guidance, large purchases of weapons and ammunition occurred, while plans were made for coordinated strikes into Canada. Eventually, O'Mahony's faction had to follow suit, and they too began to prepare for armed conflict. In many ways, it was as if two Fenian armies under the same flag were preparing for a war relatively isolated from one another. There was intense rivalry between the two factions. You see, the initial hope for the Fenians was that an invasion of Canada would coincide with a rebellion in Ireland, thus forcing the British to fight on two fronts, and hopefully drawing British resources away from Ireland to focus on Canada. Now, this Irish rebellion never materialized, and could not seem to be properly organized from within Ireland itself. Thus, the plans changed. The Fenians instead hoped that by invading Canada, they might set off a border incident that would spark another war between Britain and the United States. You see the War of 1812 being the last open conflict between the two nations. This war could then allow the Irish to rise up in Ireland while the British were busy with the Americans in North America. As well, if the Fenians could capture and hold parts of British North America, they could thus exchange it for concessions within Ireland. These plans were, as the Irish say, grand, but they were not realistic. Now, the Fenians were helped by a couple of very important factors. Firstly, the U.S. Civil War had ended in 1865, and thousands of Irish had fought for the Union. This meant that the Fenians could rely on a sizable number of soldiers who had seen combat during the Civil War. As well, the American government was still not on good terms with the British, in fact, the British had played their diplomatic cards rather foolishly during the American Civil War. You see, the British had toyed with the idea of recognizing the Confederacy as a new nation, and British ships had been sold to the Confederacy and used in battle against the Union. Thus, the American administration, under President Andrew Johnson, in many ways turned a blind eye willingly to the preparations of the Fenians. Now, this is a bit controversial, historically speaking. But Johnson and others within his administration were certainly aware of the Fenian activities, especially their buildup of weapons, and did nothing to stop them until it came down to the Fenians carrying out actual operations. Okay, so we got a Fenian army, split into two factions, building up in the U.S. An American administration that seems at the very least hesitant to stop this illegal paramilitary from organizing, we also have British North American colonies, particularly the Canada West, Canada East, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia colonies, and to a lesser extent, 
Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland, that are all in extremely delicate talks over the possibility of a union to create a new country. What we'll see is that the Fenian attacks play a central role in convincing four out of the six colonies that it is better to fight together as a country than to attempt to defend themselves as independent British colonies. The first of the Fenian raids occurred in April 1866. Led by John O'Mahony himself, 700 Fenians prepared to cross the border from Maine into New Brunswick and seize Campobello Island, its small British garrison, and a weapons cache. Campobello Island, by the way, sits at the entrance into Passamaquoddy Bay, within the larger Bay of Fundy. Now, as the Fenians gathered on the U.S. side of the border, preparing to invade, word quickly spread to both the British and the Americans. The New Brunswick militia formed up ready to defend the island, the British sent two warships down from Halifax, and even the U.S. sent a naval vessel. In the face of such overwhelming odds, the Fenians retreated and dispersed. The faction of the Fenians led by Roberts were not at all dissuaded, however, by O'Mahony's failure. In fact, Roberts was sure that he could organize a far more effective invasion. A plan was drawn up for an invasion of the Canadas at two points, one in Canada West, now southern Ontario, and one in Canada East, now southern Quebec. The Canada West invasion occurred across the river from Buffalo at Fort Erie. A Fenian force of soldiers crossed the Niagara River on the 1st of June. A U.S. naval vessel was sent to intercept this crossing, but Fenian saboteurs had infiltrated the vessel, the USS Michigan, and rendered it temporarily inoperable. Thus, a force of about 1,200 men were able to get across. However, by late in the day on June 1st, the Michigan was able to get going and positioned itself between the Fenian force on the Canadian side and their reserves on the American side. This cut off the Fenians from both fresh troops and, more importantly, fresh supplies. At a small hamlet north of the town of Ridgeway, the Fenians laid a trap for the Canadian militia and regular soldiers that were sent out to beat it. It was thus at the Battle of Ridgeway on 2nd June 1866, which is depicted, in fact, in the background of my cool Canadian history logo, the veteran Fenian force defeated the mostly inexperienced Canadians. Now, as a side note, Alexander Muir, the Scotsman who wrote The Maple Leaf Forever, fought against the Fenians at Ridgeway and wrote the song shortly after the battle. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Battle. The Fenians would go on to inflict another defeat on an even smaller Canadian force shortly after Ridgeway, yet they knew their position was untenable. With their supply lines cut off by the USS Michigan, a concerted campaign inland was just not feasible without supplies or more soldiers. They eventually opted to return to Buffalo on the early morning of 3rd June. When they returned, the U.S. Navy arrested them all. On the 7th of June, another Fenian force, about a thousand strong, invaded Canada east and set up camp at a series of points on and around Pigeon Hill, near modern-day St. Armand, Quebec. 
A Canadian force arrived, and after some brief fighting, the Fenians surrendered, as they had become surrounded and were running low on ammunition and supplies, most importantly water. Five days before this Canada East invasion, President Andrew Johnson stepped in to announce the U.S. government would do whatever it could to enforce the neutrality laws, meaning any Americans caught attempting to invade Canada would face criminal charges in the United States. In fact, U.S. Civil War generals Ulysses S. Grant, future president, and General George Meade, the victor of Gettysburg, were sent to the Buffalo region to arrest and commandeer Fenian soldiers and their weapons. After Buffalo was secured, Meade went east to ensure that no more Fenians were loitering near the Canada East border. What is really interesting to think about, though, is that while the victory at Ridgeway did absolutely nothing to advance the cause of Irish independence, it galvanized support amongst many Canadians for Confederation especially within the maritime provinces of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Many there felt that the serious threat of invasion and the need for a united defense overrode other concerns that Nova Scotia and New Brunswick had with the potential Articles of Confederation. In taking this angle, even though the Battle of Ridgeway in particular was a Canadian defeat, it was in many ways the battle that actually made Canada. For Canada was formed in 1867, the very next year. Take that, Vimiridge. Incredibly, in the years following the initial 1866 invasions, several more invasion attempts would occur. Even though at this point the U.S. government was attempting to disrupt Fenian agitation, and Canada was now, of course, its own nation, Fenians held out for the possibility of striking at the British through her newest country. At the Battle of Eccles Hill on May 25, 1870, once again near Saint-Armand, Quebec, 600 Fenians were defeated by Canadian militia of about the same number. In fact, at one point, both sides were firing at each other from their respective side of the Canadian-American border. The battle was decided when a bayonet charge by the Canadian militia scattered the Fenian force. Two days later, a Fenian contingent of several hundred men were beaten back by a Canadian force of regular soldiers at the Battle of Trout River near modern-day Huntington, Quebec. The last chapter, though, of this odd story occurs in 1871 in what was known as the Pembina Raid. Prominent Fenian John O'Neill and W.B. O'Donoghue launched a small invasion with a force numbering around 40 Fenian soldiers, This was launched from modern-day northern Minnesota into what was thought to be southern Manitoba. The hope for these Fenian raiders was to link up with Louis Riel and his Métis, who were currently in open rebellion against the Canadian government. In an almost comical turn of events, though, Riel and his Métis had signed a treaty with Canada days before the Pembina raid was launched. Now the Fenians did capture a Hudson's Bay Company fort, and a Canadian Customs House. Yet a U.S. survey team had previously determined that the two positions were in fact part of United States territory. Thus, the Pembina raid had only resulted in a quote-unquote invasion of northernmost Minnesota. The Pembina force was eventually arrested by American authorities. O'Donoghue, though, escaped into Manitoba, where he was captured by some of Riel's Métis soldiers, 
who turned him over to the U.S. authorities. In the aftermath of the Fenian invasions, there was certainly a temporary chilliness in the Anglo-Canadian relations with the United States, but for many in the U.S., this was all just dessert for Britain's odd behavior during the Civil War. More importantly, the successful defense of Canada had in many ways aroused a martial spirit within the young country and was one of the first key events to help develop a sense of Canadian nationalism. You see, prior to Confederation, most quote-unquote Canadians associated themselves with their former colonies, meaning people from Nova Scotia were Nova Scotians, people from Canada East, French Canadians, etc. But the Fenian invasions gave these new Canadians a common event to rally around and share. So not only did the Fenian invasions help accelerate the process of Canada becoming a country, but in the end, it gave us one of our earliest shared national memories to build a nation upon. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.